thank you musicians and those on the platform. We want to welcome all you mothers out here this morning. Each and every one of you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We're going to pray for you at the end of the service and uh, have, a, have a little gift for you. Uh, I'll just go ahead and spoil the surprise. It's another fan. There's a reason for that. Mothers need to know they have fans. And we are your fans. And those little fans are just reminders to you that you have fans. Amen. You'll never run out of fans at the potter's house. First Chronicles chapter 4. So we set one day aside to honor mothers, which shows you how completely screwed up we humans humans really are. We set a whole month aside for gay pride, which, which contributes nothing to the welfare of anyone, doesn't help our species, and one day for mom without whom we'd have no species. And so you got to wonder how jacked up we really are. Amen. So I'll just leave that uh, out there for some of you who are woke and you need to wake up. Amen. But for the rest of us, we don't really do the gay pride thing here, but man, we give everything we can to Mother's Day because we want mothers to know how greatly appreciated they are. And I got inspired on this sermon this morning just thinking about the price that mothers pay. And I want to recognize that. And I want all of us, because we're all somebody's child, to be thinking about our mothers and uh, maybe some way of communicating to them how we really do appreciate all that they did for us and, and didn't kill us, which is remarkable. Amen. And thank God for his great grace. So I want to just pull a couple verses out of 1 Chronicles chapter 4, beginning with verse 9. Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word I pray this morning that it finds a place in every mother's heart and in every child's heart. Every one of us, God, would uh, take stock of the amazing thing that you have created here in motherhood. 
and the way it resembles your own sacrifice and your own love for us. We can see it so readily in the sacrifice of these, our mothers. And I'm praying, God, that you'll help each mother to find strength in your word. And if there are those here this morning who are not saved, you will touch Touch them with with grace. You will touch them with salvation. Bring them to an altar of repentance that they can know the forgiveness of sin and the love of God. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said that. Amen. Now, I chose this text because it really does present the tension that exists in motherhood in a single sentence. I bore him in pain. I bore him. That's what motherhood is. That's the joy of motherhood. In pain. That's the part you weren't expecting. Well, actually, every mother in here was expecting it to a degree because we're not ignorant of what mothers go through in delivery. I only know of one woman who doesn't go through that in delivery. There's something about the way she's wired. Every time she has a baby, it's like a psychedelic experience for her. It's completely euphoric. So she's had 12 or 13 of them because she just loves having babies. She's an alien. She isn't from this planet, but all human mothers go through something far more horrific, and the extreme pain of giving birth is expected, and yet women still go through it, even multiple times, knowing it will hurt because it's central to their existence. It's what they are. It's who they are. It's their primary created purpose. We could say that from a scientific perspective, as I already mentioned. Uh, This is the perpetuation of our species. Uh, Mothers uh, cause the human race to continue. We could address it uh, from an emotional perspective. In every woman, there is this innate, compelling drive, a desire that exists in women, and uh, it is across the board, and I do know that, that there are uh, things at work in our culture and in our society that try to subvert that and undermine that and misdirect that, and yet still uh, women desire to have children. Emotionally, we could speak about it. Spiritually, we could recognize it. Malachi chapter 2, 15 says, But did he not make them one, talking about husbands and wives, having a remnant of the Spirit, and why one? He seeks godly offspring. That this is God's plan, and he brings a man and a woman together, and part of that design is for godly offspring, not just offspring, but a people that will live on for God and declare the wonder of God and the glory of God and the mercy of God and the reality of God. And so this is a spiritual dynamic that's involved in childbearing. It's spoken of prophetically, this pain 
and the reality of, of the difficulty of it. Genesis 3.16 to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And so here is this, this uh, beginning of, of our species. It started with a horrific fall. fall. Man. Mankind fell into sin, said we don't want to do it God's way. We don't need God in our life. That sin continues to this very day. Most people uh, say today, I don't need God. Uh, thank God for all of you that are here in church, but you're a minority. You're a very small group of people compared to the numbers of people who are still committing the sin of Eden. We don't need God. We'll do it our way, right? And God said, okay, well, let me show you what your way is going to be all about. There's going to be pain. I predict pain. That wasn't in the original design, but it came as a consequence of the fallen nature, and that has been continued through to this very age. And so that's the part of childbearing that we expect. We expect that pain. We know that that's part and parcel of bearing children, and it still isn't the deterrent we might expect it to be. But that isn't the only pain that mothers face. The reality of a mother's pain goes way beyond birthday, goes way beyond the physical pain of that moment. That's a spectacular pain. That's a, that's a pain that kicks it off. But, but from that point forward, there is ongoing pain involved in childbearing, involved in children. And every woman in this place just missed a tremendous opportunity to shout, Amen! Let me tell you about it, pastor. No, I'm going to tell you about it. I recognize it. I've had four children. I know what I'm talking about. Amen. John Ortberg is a Christian author, and his wife, Nancy, wrote this in Christianity Today some time ago. She, 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 she writes these words. I remember one day in particular, although I'm not sure why it stands out in my mind because there were many days like this. I had a three-and-a-half-year-old, a, a two-year-old, and an infant. I woke to a fussy baby. He clung to me like a baby monkey hangs on its mother and would not let me put him down. How many of you mothers can relate? While Johnny was clinging to me, my toddler was wreaking havoc. She had this game she liked to play with the toilet paper. She would unwind it and do, the, and, and do designs in every room of the house. While she did that, she would take all the books off the shelves and start tearing pages out of them. I would, at that point, I think it's time for an exorcist. She goes on. While this, uh, while this was going on, my three-and-a-half-year-old was begging me to play Candyland. I hate Candyland. There was a mound of dirty laundry threatening to suffocate us. John walked out saying he had no clean underwear. There was no food in the house, and I had to go to the grocery store. At the grocery store, I had a baby clinging to me, a toddler in the grocery cart, 
my other one running up and down the aisles, and the grocery cart was so full, I had to kick the pad of diapers down the aisle. In the toilet paper section, I fought to hold back the tears and the urge to, run for, uh, to keep from running, it, running from it. I stood there thinking, what am I doing with my life? Look at me. Back at home, I unloaded the groceries, fixing lunch while the ice cream melted. Then I took the kids to the park before rest time. A park with three children is not fun. I kept counting. One, two, three. I came with three. I have to leave with three. <laughs> By the time I got home and it was rest time, I was a wreck. I hated myself. I hated my children. I hated my life. I put them in their rooms and shut the doors. Of course, none of them slept. I went into the garage and I cried. I don't know why. I just thought I was going to lose my mind. I knew that that day, at 4 o'clock, everything in the house would look exactly like it did when John left at 7 o'clock that morning. I felt like I was becoming an impatient, frazzled, rude, angry, frustrated mom. And I was splitting into two people. Not all moms are like that. I know moms who are patient and kind toward their children almost all the time. I admire them. I don't like them, but, <laughs> but I admire them. Now here, I read this, and I'm thinking, for most mothers, that's a normal day. That's a normal day, and here's this normal woman. There's nothing neurotic about what she's talking about, her, her desire to weep, her her frustrations, everything that she's talking about, this is, this is the real world. This is motherhood. And uh, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, yep, I can understand uh, what this woman is going through as she speaks of feeling divided by this. There's the mother in her that loves and, and nurtures and cares for her children, and there's the hyena in her that wants to kill and eat her young. And the bottom line is that both of those experiences make up the tension of motherhood. That's what mothers deal with all the time. That's the unexpected pain. That's the pain that they don't talk about as they're all excited that you're having a baby. And they're planning showers and they're buying pretty baby things and they're, they're painting baby rooms and they're rejoicing at the coming of the baby that is about to raise hell for the next 18 years of your life. Unless you can convince them to leave earlier. Sheila Kissinger is a social anthropologist and she writes in her book, Ourselves as Mothers, these insightful words. Becoming a mother is a biological process, but it is also a social transformation. And one of the most dramatic and far-reaching that a woman may experience. The home is supposed to be a haven of love and good feelings. Thus it comes as a great disappointment to many women 
that it proves not to be so for them. For it is also a place where the ugliest and most destructive emotions are experienced. Where there is disturbing interpersonal conflict and inside four walls, these raw feelings are concentrated and mixed together as if in a pressure cooker. She hates what she has become. Happy as a woman may be to have a baby, and although she may enjoy being a mother, she must now pay the price of motherhood, which is the total and virtual annihilation of self. Yes. And all of you men who think that you go off to work and do the hard stuff, this is a wake-up call. I double-dog dare you to stay home for a week with your kids while your wife goes off and does something else. At the end of that week, you will fully understand that Adam got the sweet end of the deal. And Eve, I won't even say, Eve, poor Eve, poor Eve, and the suffering of Eve goes on. And it doesn't get any easier as the kids grow. The Bible has both explicit and implied warnings of the unexpected pain, the pain that we don't talk about, the pain we don't think about as we're preparing for our new bundle of life, how that plays out in life experience. Proverbs 10.1 says the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Isn't that an interesting verse? As I read, As I read that, it struck me. What a juxtaposition. Why is it that daddy gets bragging rights because of his wise son, but the idiot, that's mom's problem. <laughs> the son gets bragging rights, mom gets grief. I'm going to touch on that a little more in just a moment, but very, I believe that was deliberate. I do believe Solomon in his wisdom wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because there is a dynamic that men will never experience with their children that women experience on a daily basis. We'll get to it in just a moment. But this is the reality. The woman, the mother, takes a huge hit. Proverbs 17, 21. To have a fool for a child's grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. So let me, so let me digress for just a moment. The primary thrust of my sermon is simply to offer all the mothers in here my shoulder to cry on. But I want to speak to the kids for a minute. Knock it off! <laughs> Would you please show some respect? Would you stop being the godless fool that the Bible declares you are and start being wise? No, I'm asking too much. Maybe someday we'll get to that as well. The bottom line is children are all born sinners. Even the children of Christians. And their foolishness brings enormous pain to mothers. 
especially Christian mothers. Other mothers can be dismissive. Other mothers can preoccupy themselves with worldly things. They have no concern of their children's soul. But Christian mothers are worried about things like heaven and hell, you know, important stuff. And that burden is part of the weight that they carry. And the anticipated joy for many women is overwhelmed by the godless foolishness of our wayward children. And so, again, let me just appeal to all of the children in here. Your parents, you may hate them and despise them because they're always raining on your parade and they're always crushing your good time and they're always saying no because you hate it, that word no. And I believe me, I was a kid once. I know, it's hard to believe. It's true, I was a kid once. And I hated no as much as you do. But you know what? No can save your life. And no can keep you out of the nut house. And no can produce a, a person with some self-discipline in their lives so that they actually grow up to be productive human beings. And as much as you hate no, no is probably the best word in your life. All the, all the parents are going, amen, amen. And all the kids are out there going, amen, starting to manifest. There's heads spinning around like a bar stool. Green pea soup flying everywhere. What's wrong with that kid? Mom just said no. But even a godly son can produce enormous pain. See, that's the problem with being a mother. Mary gave birth to the godliest son that ever lived. And yet the prophet said to her, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. You're going to have a perfect kid, and it's going to break your heart. So it really doesn't matter where your kids fall on the spectrum. You're not going to be able to avoid the pain that is part of motherhood. And here I want to address our culture just a little bit because there seems to be something really wonky going on in young women today. And they, they're all right with making babies, but they don't want to raise them. And they leave them with grandma and they leave them with grandpa and they give them to the system and, and they ignore their children's needs when it's the most foundational part of being a woman. And then your kids grow up and they're even wonkier than you are. And it just is a self-perpetuating cycle of madness. And the whole thing is, you know what? I shouldn't have to suffer. I shouldn't have to experience discomfort or pain. So maybe I'll just kill my baby before I have it. 63 million so far. You better pray that Roe versus Wade gets reversed. You better pray that we put an end to this madness. Then it goes back to the states, and uh, if anybody's smart and they live in a state that decides to murder their babies, you'll move to a state that says we're not murdering our babies. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody left California? Just don't come to Nevada. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Now, we love you from California. We're glad you're here, but leave your politics in California. 
and leave your abortion in California. And if you think it's wise to kill your child at 23 days, stay in California. What's wrong with women today is that they don't want the pain that is embedded in being a human being. Because you can't escape it. This is Mother's Day thing, so we're not going to go into the pain of fathers. They have their own pain. But mothers today, they don't want to feel any pain. Well, dang, I'm sorry. You just can't beat it. It's part of children, of being a mother, of sacrificing for someone other than yourself. Ooh, I could start preaching right there, but I won't. Because I'm here to try to make you women feel better about yourselves. So these are the unpredictable pains that mothers bear, and they have no option. It isn't like a mother can simply write this part out of the story. It comes with the package. It's part of the life deal. There is another dimension to a mother's pain that I want to touch on this morning. It's worth mentioning, and it is implied by the context of our scripture. I, I uh, didn't read everything around it. You can read it for yourself. But the bottom line is this text that we're drawing from is embedded in a genealogy. And a genealogy is, is a list of children, and they're the fathers that produced them, the sons and their fathers. And as you read it, it's, it just stood out at me, this particular two verses, because on both ends of it is this ongoing genealogy, and then there's this very brief description of a woman who's nowhere else in the genealogies, and her pain, which is nowhere else in the genealogies. And I looked at that, and I thought, you know what? I may be reading something into this, but the truth of the matter is that just like the picture that genealogy paints, women suffer alone. This is another tip for husbands. Women suffer alone. Amen. It's the way. It's what life consists of. This unnamed mother stands out in her isolation. She's, she's not, there's nobody like her anywhere else in the story. She stands out, and her pain stands out, and she is absolutely alone in the experience. Now, that doesn't mean that all the other women that aren't mentioned in the genealogies didn't have their pain. Everyone has their pain. Why are we taking note of this woman and her pain? I, I have a lot of thoughts on the idea. We're not going into any of them today. But I, the one thought that came to me as I was working on this sermon is that she is alone. She is in this alone. It's no longer the, the natural order of fathers and sons. Now the narrative concentrates on a woman's painful experience with her son. Now, the bottom line is this has a lot to do with bio biology. 
this has a lot to do with the fact that men, no matter what the pinheads are saying today, cannot have children. Go like this. That way I can be sure that there is a brain in that cranium. Men cannot have babies. God, it's rapture time. Can we get out of here, please? That instantly puts a woman in a class of her own. And it puts her in a situation unlike anything but a mother could ever comprehend. There is a connection between mother and child that is absolutely unique. No other woman can share the connection you have with your child. It's just between you and your child. Certainly no man can share that connection. Amen? And so as hard as we may try, we never really can help you pick up the full load because we don't even relate to the full load. A father may be very supportive. He may carry a lot of the weight and the difficulties of raising the child, and yet by the very nature of the distribution of labor and the maleness of men, women still feel the greater burden and generally feel like they're carrying that burden alone. That I've heard this again and again in counseling. I see it. Women struggling with the idea that they are alone. They feel lonely. They feel abandoned. They feel forsaken. And many times it's, it's actually true. But many times it's just a feeling of isolation because biographically you're in that situation. You, uh, not biographically, biologically. Biographically too. But that was the wrong word. You are in a situation that is peculiarly your own. Your children certainly aren't going to empathize with you. They are completely unaware of the suffering they are bringing. How many of you know children are selfish by nature? The first thing out of their mouth as soon as they're born is, Me! Everybody in this room, I'm here. Pay attention. Now, not in so many words. It comes out more like, yeah, but I'm translating for you. This is what the baby is saying. And that baby will continue to say it until they can actually verbalize it, at which point they'll put words to it. Mine. Me. No, I want, give me, give me, mine, 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 right? This is, this is what children are. And they don't even have a conception. It takes them years. It literally takes them years to become, become cognizant of their environment. That they're aware that, oh, there's another person in the room. <laughs> How peculiar. What are you doing in my kingdom? Have you brought me something? 
That's the way kids are, right? Every woman in this place understands what Nancy Ortberg was writing about. And those kids were completely oblivious to what they were putting mom through. They, they just don't have any filters for it. They don't get it. And when mom finally snaps and explodes, the kids all wonder, whoa, what's wrong with mom? <laughs> whoa, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> you just kept blowing her up until she blew up. Right? And teenagers aren't any more sympathetic than little children. Amen. Their lives are all about their acne. And their peers. And their gargantuan mood swings. Because from the age 10 to the age 25, you are, a, you are an absolutely out of control <laughs> pendulum. This is your life. Yippee! Ah! Yippee! Ah! And we parents have to put up with that. Amen. The text that we look at in Proverbs dump the grief and the bitterness primarily in the mother's lap. She's the one that has to deal with this and is so connected to it that even if she wanted to get away, there is an invisible umbilical cord that will never, that will never disappear. Ever. It's part of this thing that God created. And, and you have to bear that in your heart. Internally. You have to process things internally. And there's nobody that knows exactly what you're going through but you. Amen. Fathers have their problems. Fathers have their pains. Fathers experience the grief of raising children. But for a woman, it's amplified. It's personalized. It's connected in a way that a father can never know. It's like the difference of seeing someone cut their thumb off or cutting your thumb off. Seeing someone cut their thumb off is horrible. Ah! Cutting your own thumb off is ah! only a whole lot more. Right? Watching a mother raise her children is ah! And that's what fathers go through. We go through, ah! oh, you poor thing. Let me take you out to dinner. Let me buy you a dress. Let me celebrate Mother's Day. Yay, Mom! Right? But that's about it, right? Mom, meanwhile, is trying to stop the bleeding. It's a whole different world. Okay. I hope I've made my point. Mothers bear the pain of Jabez. I bore him in pain. So having said all that, we have to absorb the entirety of the, of the text, lest the whole thing gets swallowed up in grief and self-pity. Mothers here this morning need to take heart in the end results. There is a reason that you're going through all that, and that is the hope of every mother here today. That is, at the end, the hope is it will have been worth it all. 
the pain gives way to victory. Jabez grew up to be a man of God. He called on God and God heard him. We don't have any of the backstory. We don't have any of the details. There's a great want of information here. All we really know is mom had him. He caused pain. He called on God. He prayed, bless me. Keep me from evil. Help me not to cause more pain. And God heard him. And God answered that prayer. And this man grew into a very competent man, a very spiritual man, a very empathetic man, a man that could feel, a man that cared, a man that had a broader horizon than himself. That's ultimately what Jabez's mom produced. We don't know how he came by all that. Did he come to this as most of us do? through the learning process of life, through sin, through failure, the pain that it causes, the things we produce with our stupidity, and you get to a point in life where you start going, this isn't good, I really shouldn't be living this way. It's called maturity. It's called growing up. Some people never make it there, but most do. Maybe he heard stories from his mother every day. Jabez, I named you Jabez for a reason. Maybe he was constantly reminded was he one of those unusually sensitive children who recognized mom's struggles? Or maybe it dawned on him during a sermon like this from his rabbi. His pastor got up, and next thing you know, he started to think beyond the immediate self-gratification. Perhaps uh, he experienced things in his own childhood and his own child-rearing that made him aware that he did cause pain and could cause pain and therefore he prayed, God, don't let me live that way. Change me. Change my nature. Change what I am. Everybody in this room needs that. We all need to come to the point because we are all somebody's child that we realize the sacrifices that were made for us and maybe you come from a very dysfunctional family. And maybe there were no sacrifices made for you. And my heart does go out to you. And, and part of that is what I was talking about earlier. Generations have changed. When I was a kid, parents didn't do to their kids what they do today. Parents used to stay married when they hated each other. Why? For the children. Because we don't want our children left alone because we understand that a child needs a mother and a father. We don't have that kind of sacrificial mindset today. We don't have people that are interested in anyone but themselves. And so I do. I, I tip my hat. I, I acknowledge the reality that some of you didn't have mothers who sacrificed and fathers who sacrificed. And I still say the same thing to you that I would to someone who had Christian parents. You need to grow into it. You need to wake up and go, yeah, okay, that was wrong. What am I going to do? Reproduce it? That was wrong. My daddy was a baby maker. That was wrong. Am I going to reproduce it? Or am I going to change? See, Jabez, somewhere along the line, connected with God. 
And all of a sudden, he's a man who could pray and be heard from God. And God moved in his life and prospered him. Do you know they ended up naming a city after him? That's pretty good. I don't have any cities named after me. I don't expect to be driving across Vermont one day and say, hey, Scott, Vermont. I didn't know there was a place named after me here. Now, that doesn't exist. So Jabez was an accomplished man. He was a man who was a leader. He was a man who connected with God. He was a very spiritual man. We don't know exactly how he got there, but we do know that the end result for Jabez's mom was no more pain. The end result was victory. The end result was a man that she was proud of. I'm so proud of Jabez. I'm so proud of my son. This, this, this little boy, boy, I tell you what, he was a handful. But look at him now. Look at what he's become. And every mother in this place desires a child that they can look at 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, 40 years down the road, and say, I gave birth to a spiritual human being who knew God, who knew how he or she should live, and has gone on to do just that. Isn't that the desire of every woman here today? Isn't that what you want? Amen? That your boy will grow up to be a good man? And wouldn't that answer all the pain getting there? At the end of the day, you're able to say, it worked. The investment was worth it. That's what God has in mind. He said, I created this marriage thing. I created this childbearing thing for godly offspring. That's my design. My design is that you will produce godly offspring. And ultimately, Jabez was one of those. Now, I know that there are no guarantees. I know that, as I said earlier, every child is born a sinner. Every child has the potential to absolutely screw their lives up and screw everyone, everyone's life who they touch. They have that potential because we're all sinners. And the only thing that saved me from being that was Jesus Christ. And the only thing that saved most of you from being that was Jesus Christ. We understand God has to get involved, but God can't get involved until the heart opens and says yes to God. And says, okay, God, I'm not satisfied with what I am or what I've become. Change me so that even though my name means I cause pain, keep me from evil so I no longer cause pain. This is, this is a complete miracle. And I want to tell you something. This is what God has in mind for your kids. Okay? This is what God has in mind for your kids. You say, well, you don't know my kid. Oh, I, I believe me. I do know most of your kids. <laughs> I pray for most of your kids. I pray more for you. <laughs> but your kid isn't done yet. Is it a man yet? Is it a woman yet? And we know what men and women are. Have they arrived? Well, some have. Some haven't. We have some great kids in this church. 
We have some kids that are involved up to their eyeballs. They love Jesus. They witness. They, they do the right thing at least 80% of the time. We also have some kids who haven't got it yet. Just haven't got it yet. They're still demon-possessed kids. And until they open their heart to Christ, that's what they will remain. But our hope, beloved, is that sooner or later, the penny drops and they get it. At some point in Jabez's life, he got it. And oh, what a day of rejoicing that is. When your child gets it. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is not a prophecy and it's not a promise. It's a proverb. Proverbs Proverbs are are observations of life. If you do this, this is usually what happens. If you teach a kid about the things of God, usually they'll grow up loving God. Usually. It's not a promise. There are some who defy it, but I want to give every mother in this place hope. The odds are in your favor. This is just Solomon using worldly wisdom, anointed by the Spirit, but he's looking at life and he goes, you know what? Dear mother, who struggles so hard to be that godly woman, dear father, who tries so hard to impart a spiritual vision in your child, take heart. If you'll raise the child up in the right way, chances are good when he gets old. Notice when he gets old. Notice there's a gap. Notice there's a period of time there when the demon runs loose. But when he gets old, when he's got some maturity, when he grows out of his own insane, selfish little world, and he begins to think about the pain he's caused, and he starts to think about the things he's done, and he starts to think about, you know what, that's not the right way to live. Usually, probably 90-something percent of the time, if you have trained that child in the way he should go, when he gets old, he'll come back around. Don't give up on your kids even if your kids are 80. 80 years old and he still hasn't got it? Yeah, but there's always 81. Right? 81 is coming. Sooner or later, you keep praying, you keep loving. God will get them. They'll get it. They'll get it or they'll get it. Amen. I want every head bowed, every eye closed.